Well, good morning, First Baptist Church. It is a delight to be back with you and a great privilege to have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. In 1989, Nike made a commercial that you maybe didn't see. You might have missed this one, even though it was uh, uh, something they spent a great amount of money on, spent a great amount of time producing, but it only aired for a few days before Nike pulled the, ep- they pulled the, the commercial. It was a commercial that they filmed in North Africa. And in, in this commercial, there were some tribesmen native to that Samburu tribe, and they all got new Nike tennis shoes. So the commercial was Nike filming these tribesmen trying on their new Nike tennis shoes. Now, part of the problem was the translator spoke Swahili, and the tribesmen spoke a local dialect. So there was a little bit of a difficulty in in communication, but they figured everything was okay. They filmed that commercial. The music was just like you would normally see in a Nike commercial, and all of a sudden they zoom in on one of the tribesmen who says something in his native language, and at the bottom of the screen are the words, Nike, just do it. And they thought that was really a great commercial and they were so pleased with themselves and they aired it for just a few days until somebody who actually spoke that language called Nike and told them what the man said. What the man actually said as he was taking off his Nike tennis shoes was, bring me back my old shoes, these Nike shoes hurt my feet. Not really the message that they wanted to communicate. What Nike learned was how poor communication can close a door. What we're going to see from Acts chapter 18 in the life of the Apostle Paul, how effective communication can open a door. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at an open door next door. And it happened to be at a place that was totally unexpected. Now, in the first century, if you and I were going to plant a church, probably the last place we would look would be Corinth. But that's where we find the Apostle Paul. He's left Athens where he was in Acts chapter 17, and he's gone to Corinth, which was one of the most pagan cities in the world. Where Athens was the intellectual center, Corinth was the corruption center. Just like your name connotes something about freedom, Corinth connotes something about corruption. It was the center of corruption. It was the Las Vegas of their day. And if you're familiar with that area in Greece, sort of the the southern part of Greece, there's a small isthmus about two miles wide, and that's where Corinth is. It was the center of land and sea trade. It had two ports, one on the west side and one on the east side. The port on the east was the opening to the Aegean Sea. The port on the west was the opening to the Adriatic Sea. Now today, if you were to go on by ship to Corinth, 
you would have a canal that connects those two ports. But in Paul's day, it was just land. So if you wanted to park at the Adriatic Sea and ship something across to the Aegean Sea, you would unload it at one port. It would travel by land for two miles across the Isthmus, and then you would put it back on a ship to go out into the Aegean Sea. That's Corinth. So it was the center for sea trade. It was the center for land trade. In that isthmus that connects Greece and the Peloponnese regions, that area was a center for all of the commerce throughout the area of Greece. Now, you might know something else about Corinth. It was the center of the Isthmian Games. You may have heard of the Isthmian Games, second only to the Games in Athens, a Olympic-style games that people from all over the ancient Near East would come to Corinth certain times throughout the seasons for those Isthmian Games. It was a remarkable place, a pagan place, a wealthy place, known for many things, but not known for church work. That's where we find the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 18. So look with me in Acts 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Christmas the leader of the synagogue believed in the, Lord, in the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid. But keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God among them. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is there room in your faith for God to do something unexpected? Have you ever thought that God might be trying to do something in your life, in your family, in your church that is totally unexpected? Not what you thought, but something that only can be explained by the hand of God. That's what we see going on here in Acts chapter 18. It is the story of God closing one door and opening another door. The irony, almost comedic irony of the story, is that when God closed one door in the synagogue, he opened another door that happened to be next door to the door that God had just closed. A door that they certainly wouldn't have anticipated God to open. 
Has God ever closed a door in your life? Maybe you were going a certain direction. Maybe your life, your family, your business. You thought, this is the plan God has for my life. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, God closed that door. And you knew God closed that door. And all of a sudden, having closed a door, God began to do something different. Maybe God opened a door in your life that you didn't anticipate. Maybe God opened a door that you didn't even think was a door that you might be able to access, but all of a sudden, God did something for you different and unexpected. I've entitled the message this morning, The Open Door, Next Door. And I want to challenge you in your faith this morning that God might be trying to do something in your life that can only be explained by the divine hand of God. God closed a door but he opened another. Now, here's the context. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he has now taken Silas as his partner. Barnabas and Mark went to the region in Africa. Now, Paul and Silas making their way to some of the same cities that Paul and Barnabas had visited on the first missionary journey. In Acts 16, we meet Paul as he comes along with Silas and Timothy and later Luke in that second missionary journey, and they made their way through Thyatira, and they were in a prison in Philadelphia, and there was an earthquake, and God supernaturally released them from the prison in Acts 16. And remember, the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? From there, Paul went to Thessalonica, and he went to the synagogue, as was his habit, but he was treated poorly in the synagogue. He was persecuted and run out of town and went from Thessalonica to Berea, and there he went to the synagogue, as he does in every city, was there for three weeks, and then God opened a door, and the Bible says they were more noble-minded in Berea than they were in Thessalonica. Because they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. But then the persecution began again and Paul left Berea and he went to Athens. In Acts 17, we find Paul in an area known as Mars Hill where he is engaging the intellectual elite of his day. He was by himself. Silas and Timothy had gone a different direction and Paul for a series of time there engaging all kinds of pagan false religions, even found an idol set up to something called the unknown God just in case we missed one. Paul said the God you worship in ignorance I present to you in truth. And the Bible says near the end of Acts 17 that the people sort of brushed Paul off and they said, we'll hear you another day on this, but that day seemed to never come. And then Acts 18 begins, after these things, well, these things refer to all the events that, that God has allowed to take place in Paul's life in this second missionary journey. There's a little humor here as Paul begins his ministry going to the synagogue, as he always did. But the synagogue in Corinth, like the last three places Paul had been, was unwelcoming to him. And he found a door closed. In fact, as you walk through the first part of Acts chapter 18, what we find are a series of closed doors. 
The first thing that we notice is there's been a series of doors that have closed for Paul in what was his traditional ministry in the synagogue. In fact, the Bible tells us in at least 11 different cities, Paul began his ministry by going to the synagogue. He would be there, and as the Bible says here in verse 5, he would reason with the Jews. He would present to them. It was an apologetic kind of ministry. He would persuade them or attempt to persuade them that Jesus is the Messiah. But time after time, Paul had been rebuffed and the door had been closed and persecution began to intensify. Even as we saw on the text earlier from John 10 where Jesus said, I have sheep that are not of this fold here. We're beginning to see Paul carrying out that ministry because now here in Acts 18 is a pivotal transition in Paul's ministry where he shifts from ministering to the Jews to ministering to the Gentiles. But before that door opened, the first door closed. We find a door closed not only to the synagogue, we find a door closed to a ministry that began in Athens. Look back just a couple of verses before chapter 18, back in chapter 17, verse 32, the people heard about the resurrection from the dead. Some ridiculed him, but others said, we'd like to hear you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some of them joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others. And then after this, Paul left, and what seemed to be a door opening in Athens, the Lord closed another door closed. Not only that, look down in chapter 18, verse 2, and we see a third door that is indicated that has been closed. Paul left Athens, went to Corinth, and he found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. A closed door. Now Paul's had a door closed in the synagogue. He's had a door closed in Athens. Aquila and Priscilla have had a door closed in Rome. And then as you get down to verse 6, there's a final door that closes, and you see Paul having been resisted again here in Corinth. He shook out his clothes, which is the instructions that Jesus gave the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. If you're not received, you shake the dust off of your clothes and you go to the next town. And here you see Paul doing that very same thing. And Paul says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. Another door closed. You ever noticed in your life that sometimes before God opens a door, he closes another one? Maybe you've seen that in your life where you thought God was doing something. You thought God was leading a certain direction. You thought God was doing a, a particular thing in your life. And all of a sudden, God unexpectedly closes a door. But before you bemoan a door, God closes. Keep your eyes open because God might be opening another door next door. God might be doing something in your life that is unexpected. You see, the door that's opening here was not a door that they anticipated. After all, faith seemed to be the exclusive domain of the Jewish people. That's what they thought. 
That whole argument in Acts chapter 15 was really stumbling over this question, is it really possible for anyone other than Jews to believe in Christ? That's been the tension of this day, and all of a sudden, now Paul becomes a leader in opening a door for the gospel to someone other than the Jews. Now, that wasn't what he thought. That wasn't the reason he came to Corinth, because you see there in verse 4, he reasoned with them in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade them. That's what Paul saw his ministry there in Corinth. That's why Paul thought he'd been there. But after a few weeks of bumping into that wall of resistance in the synagogue, God God made clear to Paul, I've closed this door in your life. The Bible says in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, remember Paul's been by himself for the greater part of this time, but now Silas and Timothy, Paul's reinforcements, Paul's companions in ministry, they came and joined him, and Paul now devotes himself exclusively to preaching. Probably before this, he was doing some tent making. Paul, in several places, was bivocational. Uh, We see that in his ministry with Lydia. We see it in his ministry with Aquila and Priscilla, probably helping to support himself financially. But when Silas and Timothy came, probably bringing some financial resources from the churches in Macedonia, Paul now exclusively devotes himself to the preaching of God's Word. Now Paul begins to realize that God is doing something different. Paul knew about Corinth. He knew it was a pagan place. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came here, I came in weakness and trembling. So Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth, when I first came here, I was afraid of you people, which is why when, when the Lord begins to speak to Paul, he tells him, Paul, don't be afraid. Why? Because Paul was afraid. It was not the anticipated path that he thought God was doing, but here's what Paul learned that's maybe a lesson that you and I need to learn today. Any door God opens, God will see you through, even if it's unexpected. Even if it's unanticipated, even if it's something that you did not see God doing, any door God opens, God will see you through. Now, follow through, beginning in verse 7. Paul left there, that's the synagogue, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Now, watch this. Paul's gone next door. He was just in the synagogue and really had no, seemed to have no impact for the cause of Christ in the synagogue. So he went next door, but now watch what happens almost immediately when Paul began to pursue the new plan God had for his life. Look at verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Crispus had been there when Paul was in the synagogue, but Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of a man who trusted in the Lord, and now the leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord. Paul had a greater impact on the synagogue when he left the synagogue than he did when he was there. 
God began to do something remarkable in Paul's ministry when Paul began to pursue the direction God had for his life. So Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his house. And now notice many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Now, Paul's already been there several weeks. Why haven't they heard? Because they weren't in the synagogue. Paul left the synagogue and he went next door and now not only the leader of the synagogue believed and his family, but the Bible says that many heard the message of God and they believed and they were baptized and now Paul had a vision. God spoke to Paul, gave him a message about open doors that maybe you and I need to hear and apply in our lives. I want you to hear the two things God said to the Apostle Paul. Look beginning in verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, and don't be silent. Now in that first part, God has told Paul two things. They're both in the imperative. He's told him two commands right here in verse 9. He told him, first of all, don't be afraid. Literally, stop being afraid. And then he told him, secondly, keep on speaking. So, don't be afraid and don't stop speaking are the two imperatives that God gave to Paul. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep doing what you're doing. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. And here's why. Because... God said, I am with you. And I want to share with you two things we learn about open doors. Number one, you can walk through any door God opens with courage because God goes with you. Anytime God opens a door, God doesn't just send you, God goes with you. Don't be afraid. Don't stop speaking. Paul had been alone and now joined by his team and God gave him a message. First of all, Paul, don't be afraid. This is the preliminary. The message is coming later. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Keep on doing what you are doing. Paul, don't be afraid. You have a message this city needs to hear. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. You can imagine Paul thinking to himself, what about the difficulties? Hearing God say, don't be afraid, keep speaking. What about the opposition? Don't be afraid, keep speaking. What about the financial needs in my life? And God said, don't be afraid, keep speaking. What about the changes going on, the doors that are closing? And he hears God saying, don't be afraid, you keep on speaking. I've closed one door, but there's another open door right next door. And here's the best part. Why Paul could have courage to walk through the open door. Why you and I have courage to pursue whatever direction God may be leading with boldness because God says, I am with you. You see, God's never going to send you a place he doesn't plan to go. God's never to lead you to do something that God won't accompany you in the process. Notice in verse 5, Paul's already begun to experience this. Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself to preaching 
testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. He's already recognized the hand of the Lord on his life. He's already sensed the Spirit of the Lord working through his ministry, the direction of the Lord. And now here in verse 10, God says, and don't miss this, I go with you. I accompany you. Words, I am with you convey a promise that you see throughout Scripture, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, when God first revealed His name to Moses on the mountain, His name meaning something like, I am. And God said to Moses, I am with you. It's the same thing God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 26, verse 24, I am with you. It's the same thing God said to Israel in Isaiah 41, verse 10, I am with you. It's the same thing God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18, on the occasion of his calling and five times more throughout his ministry, I am with you. And they're the words of Jesus to his disciples. Just before he ascended to the Father in Matthew 28, I am with you always. Did you know as a believer in Jesus Christ, anywhere you go, you never go alone. Paul thought he was by himself in Athens, and indeed his friends and companions weren't there. But now God says to Paul, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Why? Because I am with you. So it's no wonder Paul later said in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God's for us, who can be against us? Maybe you've felt isolated. Maybe over the last 18 months, you've felt isolated. You've felt what seems to be the loneliness that comes along with whatever COVID or other things have infected upon us, but hear the word of the Lord, every door God opens, God goes through that door with you. God goes and God leads. Hear the message of the Lord, I am with you. Moses said to the Lord, right after the Lord said to him, I'm with you, Moses responded in Exodus chapter 33, if you don't go with us, then don't lead us anywhere from here. We don't want to go anywhere you are not leading. You see, God's not just looking for what you can do for him. God's looking for what he can do through you. And any door God opens, you can walk through with courage because God goes with you. But I want to share with you the second part of God's message to Paul that you may need to hear, and it's this. You can walk through any door God opens with confidence because God provides everything you need. You can have courage in God's presence, and you can have confidence in God's provision. Everything you need, God will provide. I sometimes say to our classes at seminary, anything God is leading you to do in your life or throughout your ministry, God will provide everything, all the resources that you need, which means if we in the ministry of the church are not doing what we felt like God was leading us to do, one of two things is true. Either we have not been faithful with the resources God's been given to us, or it's not God's time. 
Because God's always going to provide all the resources you and I need to accomplish His purpose. Where God leads, God provides. God never defaults on a promise. You can walk through any open door. God opens with confidence because God is your provider. Look again at verse 10. God says, I'm with you. And watch this. No one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. Now, don't misread this or misapply this. This is not a promise saying no one's ever going to have anything, no harm's ever going to come against you, no one's ever going to oppose you. That wasn't true in Paul's life and it's not true in yours. But on this moment, God said to Paul, I'm preserving you for a reason, for a season, because I'm doing something in your ministry. That's when he said, don't stop speaking, don't be silent. They need to hear this message. I'm protecting you not only because I'm with you, but because I have many people in this city. Paul, who had felt alone, heard God say to him, you're not alone. You remember the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, after he'd come through a particularly difficult season of his ministry, the queen had opposed him, put a death threat on his life. He fled out into the wilderness. He's there by himself. Finally, two times in chapter 19, calls out to God, God, I'm the only one left who serves you. And after the second time Elijah said that, God interrupted Elijah and he said, I have 7,000 people in this city who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not by yourself. God said to the Apostle Paul here in Acts chapter 18, I have many people in this city. It's one of the ways that God provided for Paul. To be sure, God provided for Paul with his own hands. God was, uh, Paul was a tent maker, and he provided for his own needs for a season. But all of a sudden, as the text begins to unfold, there are a series of people who come into Paul's life who become a divine fulfillment of this message. There are many in this city, the first are Aquila and Priscilla. Paul met them after they fled because of the persecution in Rome, and they converged at the same place where Paul was, and God used them to provide for Paul. They became companions for Paul. They accompanied Paul throughout several different locations. Paul stayed in their home. They were used by, by God to clarify Paul's message, and Paul was befriended by Aquila and Priscilla. God used them to affirm his message. Maybe God will use you like Aquila and Priscilla to come alongside a messenger of the Lord. But there were others. Notice Silas and Timothy came in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came, Paul changed his whole ministry. Paul now devoted himself exclusively to preaching and teaching before he was bivocational. Now Silas and Timothy came and released Paul to do what God had called Paul to do. The Bible says in verse 5, Paul was compelled literally led by the Spirit to preach the gospel. Paul used, Paul, God used Silas and Timothy. But there were others. Look further in your text. You see in verse 7, there was a man named Titius Justus. Now, we don't know anything else about this guy. 
Look what the Bible says. He left there, went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. It's a fascinating description about this guy. Really, the text says a certain man named Titius Justus, a guy. He's a dude named Justus. That's, that's really all we know about him. We know where he lived. He lived next door to the synagogue. We don't know anything else about him. But somehow, in the providence of God, God provided this man when Paul needed him. But there's more. We've already seen how God used Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy and a certain man named Justice. Now verse 8, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, becomes a believer in the Lord. And then many who heard believed. And then God finally concludes that in verse 10. Even on top of all of this, on top of Aquila and Priscilla and Silas and Timothy and Justice, and the many who have already believed, God says, I have many more in this city. What God was saying to the Apostle Paul is, my resources are not depleted. I have everything you need to accomplish my will. Because any door that God opens in your life, God will provide. God may use you. God may use your co-workers. God may use the Spirit of God or the Word of God or the family of faith or other means at God's disposal to accomplish His will in your life. This is why the Apostle Paul could affirm with confidence in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God will supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So as you think about these resources that God brought into the life of the Apostle Paul, it might be that God wants to use you to resource someone else's ministry. It might be that you take confidence from this passage that God will provide all the needs that you have in your life. But I want you to note two final things in this text. Not only do we see in verse 8 that this leader of the synagogue, Crispus, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. By the way, we meet this man Crispus again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14 who continued to be a believer in the Lord. Now look down at verse 17. We've already seen how Crispus, the former leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Now look at verse 17. And they seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the, the, the tribunal. And none of these things seemed to matter to Gallio, who was the, the leader of the people. But you think, well, what's going on with Sosthenes, who was the leader? Because remember, the last leader believed in the Lord with his family, so now they've replaced him with a new leader in verse 17. And now this man is now beaten in front of the, the leader as though maybe trying to interrupt what God was doing. But notice when you actually turn to the letter of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians was dedicated to a man named Sosthenes. The man we meet here in verse 17, the second leader of the synagogue who came to faith when Paul left the synagogue and went next door. See, you'll never know what God's going to do until you pursue the plan God has for your life. So I want to ask you this morning, is there room in your faith for God to do something that's unexpected. Have you ever thought that God might be leading you, that God might be using you, that God might be 
changing something in your life. Maybe God's closing a door, but pay attention because every time God closes a door, God opens another door. It might take courage for you to trust him. You might have to listen more, more carefully to how God's speaking, but you'll notice when God begins to work in your life, God resources every door that God opens. I was thinking about Jesus and doors this week. We read about one a little bit earlier in John chapter 10, but there are other occasions with Jesus and doors you remember that occasion in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Sometimes he knocks on the door. But then there was that occasion in John chapter 20 where the disciples were in the upper room right after the resurrection of Christ. And John, two times on two different occasions, one week apart, says, We were in this room and the door was locked. And Jesus passed through the door. He didn't actually open the door. He just passed through the door and entered the room, even though the door was shut. Sometimes Jesus doesn't need doors. And then at other times, we hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I am the door. So I thought, you know, sometimes Jesus knocks on the door like a gentleman. Sometimes Jesus walks through the door as though he didn't need it. And always we remember Jesus is the door to every opportunity God has in your life. Have you ever thought God might be opening a door in your life? There was a time 2,000 years ago when God did something totally unexpected. When the divine became a human, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death to pay the price for your sin and mine so that he could become the door for you to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ today. I'm asking you to trust him and walk through the door. You'll discover there might be an open door right next door bow together in prayer with me. Father, I pray by the leadership of the Spirit of God and the infilling power that we have through Him that we might walk through our Christian lives with our eyes open, sensitive to where You are leading. And I pray that even if in Your providence You close doors in our lives that we thought were open, we're sensitive to your leading, we're listening to your speaking, and we are obeying. God, right now, you may be closing doors on someone's life, a door they thought was open, a path they thought you were leading, and you've unexpectedly closed that door, but maybe simultaneous to a door that's closing is a door that's opening and we just need the courage to follow. We need the courage to say yes. We need the courage to be obedient to wherever you are leading. For some this morning, you may be leading us to a relationship with you through Christ because he is the door. For others, you may be opening up doors of ministry, maybe in their family maybe in their neighborhood, maybe in their school or place of work. God, whatever door you're opening, pray you find us faithful. I pray
pray you find us obedient. I pray you find us listening, sensitive. And then walking through that door with courage. Because we know you go with us. We walk through that door with confidence. Because we know that every door you've opened, you provide. And then God, to your glory, whatever you choose to do through that ministry, may you find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.